This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Now, from the most powerful city in the world, a new generation of conservative talk. Fair, fresh, fun. It's the Guy Benson Show with Guy Benson. Happy Thanksgiving from the Guy Benson Show. Harry Hurley filling in today for Guy. Guy will be back on Monday, tomorrow Thanksgiving, and the day after Thanksgiving, the best of Guy Benson. Partnering today with Christine Wyatt and Dan, I'm Harry Hurley. Filling in today, it's an honor to fill in for Guy. I have tremendous respect for Guy Benson. As his audience knows, Guy Benson offers smart, fast-paced political and cultural insights from the right-leaning perspective. Guy blends major newsmaker guests, including a steady stream of Fox News all-stars, and will prove that as the program goes along, along with passionate and informed monologues from Guy. The Guy Benson Show is one of the most relevant nationally syndicated radio talk shows in America. Welcome to The Guy Benson Show. And, of course, we begin with breaking news. Most may have heard, but I'm sure it's still so recent that some will be hearing it for the first time. Breaking news on the Guy Benson show, Ahmad Arbery, the jury has found Travis McMichael, his father, Gregory McMichael, and their neighbor, William Rody Bryan, guilty as charged. Uh, and the charges are extensive. Malice, count one, malice murder, guilty. Count two, felony murder, guilty. Three, four, five, felony murder, guilty. Aggravated assault, count six, guilty. Aggravated assault, count seven, guilty. False imprisonment, count eight, guilty. And count nine, criminal attempt to commit a felony, guilty as charged. So you can imagine uh, upon sentencing. And remember, until sentencing, the jury verdict is what the jury verdict is. A lot of people don't know this. Until sentenced, you're not convicted. But of course, uh, in any lay person's mind. Do not torture the English language. Uh, this jury has spoken, and they have spoken unanimously. And for those who say, wow, this is just an interesting uh, situation, the, the Kyle Rittenhouse verdict of a few days ago, the Ahmad Arbery verdict today, and I've been checking my social media, checking my email, and a number of people have asked, hey, what's the difference between these two? The differences are dramatic. I thought it would be interesting to try to find something that was the same because they're, they're, every case is different. But finding something that was the same actually required a little bit of extra thought. And I did come up with something. Video meant everything in both cases. And I will now make my case on The Guy Benson Show in Kyle Rittenhouse. I have no doubt in my mind you can you can agree or you can agree to disagree without the video. Kyle Rittenhouse would have been convicted. It would have been very unjust because obviously the video showed that he was protecting himself. He was defending himself and he had every legal right to do that. And a jury of his peers unanimously said so. 
after several days of deliberation. This was less deliberation, about half the time, not even probably half the time. But video was everything in this case. I remind you, because I don't know how much of this you're getting anywhere else. If you go back in time, the killing of Ahmad Arbery in February of 2020, it went basically unnoticed. South Georgia, the community, his family, his friends, they knew that something happened, that this 25-year-old died. But there was nothing happening with this case. Now, I will point out Travis McMichael, or rather Gregory McMichael, was a police officer and an investigator. And that did cause uh, a legal controlling authority to recuse herself because he had once worked within her department. And I'm not saying that's the reason, but without the video, I don't believe these charges ever would have been brought forward. And why do I say that? Well, nothing happened February, March, April, five days into May, nothing. Nothing was going on. Suddenly on May 5th, a video of the shooting surfaces. Now, this is right before George Floyd as well. So there's a lot going on. There are protests around the country, a lot of violence, a lot of robbing, a lot of fires being set, neighborhoods being disrupted. I mean, a lot of things going on. But on May 5th, the video comes out. And of course, it prompts outrage. It prompts protests. It begins the demonstrations of racial injustice. And then, of course, what followed, if you remember, the summer of love, jazz, chop, all of it. And so after that, you have May 25th, the murder of George Floyd in Minneapolis, and now the country is basically ablaze in most major cities and all kinds of of issues. So to me, the differences are stark. They're very, very distinct. The similarities, I really can only find one. And that is that video saved the day in both cases. In the Arbery case, I believe no charges ever would have been brought. They would have said that it was not what ultimately the video showed that it was. Uh, and their story probably would have been able to stand. There would have been no evidence to say otherwise. It appears that all that Arbery was doing was jogging, which there's evidence that he did that quite a bit. So the McMichaels and Brian took it upon themselves and they gave statements that they thought that this was someone that had been committing burglaries uh, in the area. And as it turns out, when the records were, were combed, there was exactly one burglary. So there were not repeated burglaries, just one. And their story just didn't stand up and the jury didn't buy it. And the jury uh, believed what their eyes saw. And I didn't think any of the three had any chance of acquittal. And again, completely opposite. And we'll be talking about both cases today as the Guy Benson show uh, goes along. With the Kyle Rittenhouse case, 
the evidence, most people, and later today, we'll interview my friend Governor Chris Christie, the former U.S. attorney for New Jersey, and we've talked about it, and we're going to talk about it today on the Guy Benson Show. That never, those charges against Kyle Rittenhouse never should have ever been even presented to a grand jury. A lot of people get lost. Oh, my God, he's indicted. Indicted has turned into not accused, but it's turned into that you're convicted. Indictment means that a prosecutor went to the grand jury and said, give me the chance to prove that Kyle Rittenhouse committed murder and two cases of that and one case of attempted murder. And we will prove uh, at trial that he did these things. And then a grand jury. This is why you hear the expression that that you can indict a ham sandwich. I wish we could sort of roll back the Wayback Machine and put the term indictment where it belongs, just an accusation. Because the problem with being indicted in America anymore was Raymond Donovan, a cabinet secretary a number of decades ago, who was ultimately exonerated, and he made the infamous statement, now where do I go to get my good name back? Because you get absolutely demolished, you get destroyed. Look at Kyle Rittenhouse, the president of the United States, called Kyle Rittenhouse a white supremacist. And I want to give you just a – this is a case study in everything that I think is wrong about Joe Biden. I think his instincts are that he's a good man, but he's a spectator in his own presidency because you hear him say one thing – For example, impromptu, a member of the media, industrious member, got him, got him to say something about the Kyle Rittenhouse verdict. And he said the right thing. Look, I stand by, quote, what the jury has concluded, quote, the jury system works and we have to abide by it. That is what a leader of 330 million people in a country that is run by the rule of law is supposed to do. But he got back to wherever it is he goes back to. And I don't know if it's the Prime Minister Klain or Susan Rice or or Peppermint Patty uh, Pisaki. I don't know who it is, but somebody gets to him, and then he flips his script. And now all of a sudden, he's angry. He's angry about the decision and concerned. Now, why do you do that? You're the sitting president of the United States. And the jury system that hours before you said worked and that we have to abide by it, you now say while the verdict in Kenosha will leave many Americans feeling angry and concerned. And he didn't leave it at that. You know, that would be a president speaking for maybe one portion of the electorate. No, no, no. He then said, while the verdict in Kenosha will leave many Americans feeling angry and concerned, myself included. What a change. That's not a nuance. That is a flipping of the script because whoever he answers to, you hear it all the time. I'm in trouble. I got to go. They don't want me to take quiet. I got to have to leave. I mean, you hear it all the time. He did it with the military gathering with the first lady yesterday. This is something at some point it's going to matter. In the polling, it's showing up. But at some point, it can't be ignored. Now, look at the difference. We're talking, I know it's from his um, friends, his multi-billionaire friend in Nantucket's compound, 
But this lickety split statement from the president of the United States, Ahmaud Arbery's killing witnessed by the world on video is a devastating reminder of how far we have to go in the fight for racial justice in this country. Mr. Arbery should be here today celebrating the holidays with his mother, Wanda Cooper Jones, and his father, Marcus Arbery. Nothing can bring Mr. Arbery back to his family and to his community, but the verdict ensures that those who committed this horrible crime will be punished. Why didn't Kyle Rittenhouse get a beautiful statement from the president that justice had been served and that a young man who defended himself and went through an ordeal of more than a year and was found unanimously to be found to be innocent, to be not guilty as charged? How come he doesn't say Mr. Rittenhouse now has the rest of his life to live and and wish him well and apologize for being an opportunist as a candidate for president. And this is why I I am in the camp that supports Rittenhouse suing the sitting president of the United States. And I normally, either party, I would not take that position. But it was vicious. And it was completely foundless when candidate Joe Biden called Kyle Rittenhouse a white supremacist. And what would that be based upon? There was video evidence. I mean, the 18-year-old has handled himself better than the 79-year-old. Asking the president before you speak, you should look at the evidence. The evidence exonerated Rittenhouse. The evidence convicted the two McMichaels and Brian. Why don't we have a president that delivers a coherent message on both occasions? In a just fashion, I I would ask anyone to dispute that truth that I speak on The Guy Benson Show. Sounds like it's an opinion, but it's not. It is not my opinion. These are facts that I am am stating. I am citing incontrovertible truths. The president flipped his statement on Rittenhouse and had to go woke, broke, joke. And then on the Arbery, you get exactly what you would expect. Why is that? Why does the street not go both ways? Why don't we have an even-handed president that speaks to the American people the same way, no matter what the decision is? You see, we don't have to like a decision if we've decided in advance without any evidence that somebody is guilty. We don't have to, we don't have to like this kind of response, and I, I, I don't think it's appropriate. We'll take a brief time out. We'll be back. This is The Guy Benson Show. The Guy Benson Show. More next. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Partnering with Christine Wyatt and Dan, I'm Harry Hurley, filling in today for Guy. Happy 
pre-Thanksgiving, the day before. We'll call it Thanksgiving Eve on The Guy Benson Show. Guy will be back on Monday. So let's pivot. If you're just tuning into The Guy Benson Show, Travis McMichael, his father Gregory, and neighbor William Rody Bryan, guilty of counts so many as far as the eye can see. We'll pivot back to Kyle Rittenhouse and give, give you an opportunity to just hear what's going on there. Kyle Rittenhouse, in this definitive interview with uh, my friend Tucker Carlson, has a message for President Joe Biden. Dan, cut 15. Mr. President, if I could say one thing to you, I would urge you to go back and watch the trial and understand the facts before you make a statement. That's not a small thing to be called that. No, it's, it's actual malice defaming my character for him to say something like that. Think about where you were when you were 18. And would you have been able to hold up the year that he held up to and to speak like that with Tucker? Flat out impressive. Now, Jen Psaki, the White House press secretary, had an opportunity to clean this whole mess up when and I'll tell you, he's the only guy doing his job and he does it incredibly well. Uh, We've had the pleasure to interview Peter Fox News star. Peter Ducey, the only one in the Washington press corps right now, really holding Saki and the president to account. Jen Saki had the opportunity to close the door on this with an apology. She couldn't bring herself to do it. Cut 26, Dan. Would the president ever apologize to the acquitted Kenosha shooter Kyle Rittenhouse for suggesting online and on TV that he is a white supremacist? <laughs> well, let's be clear what we're talking about here. This is about a campaign video released last year that used President Trump's own words during a debate as he refused to condemn white supremacists and militia groups. And President Trump, as we know from history, and as many of you covered, didn't just refuse to condemn militia groups on the debate stage, he actively encouraged them throughout his presidency. So, uh, you know, what we've seen are the tragic consequences of that. When people think it's okay to take the law into their own hands, instead of allowing law enforcement to do its job. And the president (coughs) believes in condemning hatred, division, and violence. That's exactly what was done in that video. Blah, 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 projection. That's not even intellectually honest. Peter Ducey, though, doing his job, pressed on. Cut 27, Dan. You're saying that it was just a campaign video. It wasn't. The president also gave an interview where he said this uh, Rittenhouse was part of a militia coming out of Illinois. Have you ever heard this president referring to Trump say one negative thing about white supremacists? These are all things. uh, None of this was proven in the trial. And Kyle Rittenhouse is saying that the president had actual malice in defaming his character. Is that what happened here? The the president spoke to the verdict uh, last week. Uh, He has obviously condemned uh, the hatred and division and violence we've seen around the country by groups like the Proud Boys uh, and groups that uh, that individual has posed in photos with. Um, But beyond that, I'll leave it to his comments around the verdict. Disgraceful, truly disgraceful, an opportunity to clean it up. But I guess they they feel that the um, the litigation is going to be filed and just couldn't bring themselves to do it. Uh, Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. 
His name is Jonathan, but you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. We, we have a very important topic that we're going to address next on The Guy Benson Show, the Christmas parade and the horrible attack. You're listening to The Guy Benson Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Talking about the issues you care about. Guy Benson. With Christine Wyatt and Dan, I'm Harry Hurley, filling in for Guy, who will be back on Monday. Happy Thanksgiving Eve from The Guy Benson Show. We want to spend some time, uh, and I think it's well-spent quality time, on this Waukesha, Wisconsin, Dateline story, what's being called the Christmas Parade Attack. It's got many different descriptions. But let's just stipulate a few facts that, again— are stubborn and persistent. Incredibly, John Chisholm, Milwaukee County, Wisconsin DA, knew that his bail reforms were going to result in something like this. And whenever we make certain statements on Guy's program, we always ask you, you know, please check check on what we're saying. You don't have to just believe me because I'm saying it, although I would not say it. I wouldn't say it on my program. I wouldn't say it on Guy's program, especially filling in for Guy, I wouldn't say something that we couldn't back up. In 2007, when he was questioned, John Chisholm, about these bail reforms, because what they do is they make it possible. I believe, believe me, I, I want to stipulate that I am a huge fan of the presumption of innocence and our entire system and the reasonable bail and these things uh, should be done. Tell that to some of the people that have been kept in jail for more than a year because government just does it. But hear me out on this. John Chisholm, because of his work in the area of bail reform, where they put potentially very violent people right back on the street, he said, quote, you bet it's guaranteed to happen. He knew. He knew that this bail reform would result in that. Now, I don't know how he will explain that. He hasn't said anything about that. Uh, He's been very quiet since this horrific attack occurred that has injured 60 people. And now with the death of Jackson Sparks overnight, late morning today, eight years old, his brother Tucker is holding on to and for dear life. He's still alive. So the parents have lost one, and they have a second that's uh, still in in, in a great deal of um, difficulty. Sixty total people injured, six killed at this point, with several more that are in very bad shape. So this is another one of those undeniable things. If they didn't do bail reform the way that they did it, Daryl Brooks would not have had a bail set at $1,000, three weeks. And if that's like normal bail process, you pay 10%, hundred, hundy, hundy. 
and he's out. I don't think he paid more than 100 or $200 to get out. I'll get to the $5 million bail that's now been set because that has infuriated people that there is bail set at all. This is a different district attorney that set that, and he explained the extraordinary circumstances and why it's set at $5 million. He's not even taking the position that there shouldn't be bail. He's explaining why it's as much as it is. Now, the $5 million, he would have to pay it all to get out. But you never know. What, what if some, who knows, some radical, crazy communist socialist, and we have them running all over the place, some of them with a lot of money. What if somebody bails this guy out? This guy could get bailed out. I don't think he will. But it's been set in motion that he could, and that should never have happened. So they don't learn from their mistakes. And I can also tell you that the White House has doubled down on this whole bail issue. They are taking position. Now, remember, we came through this whole horrific 2020 year, not just the pandemic, but also the defund the police movement and all these things that were going on in various cities around the country, Seattle, Portland, San Francisco, Los Angeles, et al., many, many major metropolitan cities that took this radical, woke philosophy of governance that we should defund the police. What, what a brilliant idea. Uh, Comrade de Blasio took a billion dollars from the New York City Police Department. Isn't it amazing that Mayor-elect Adams, I mean, of course, a former police officer and superior officer, he understands. You, you, you have to have. And then you look at any poll. 81% of African Americans polled do not want the police defunded. This is white Socialist Democrat liberals espousing a radical philosophy of governance that is a threat to our republic and it's a threat to everyone's safety. Because in a free society, and we live again by the rule of law, you have to have a legal controlling authority, a police department, and that keeps everybody in check. Anybody that doesn't want to run afoul with the law, risk going to jail, you're inspired to do right because there's a penalty if you do wrong. They turned theft into nothing, burning police cars, burning other people's property, robbing, pilfering the um, the the, uh, the stores, not just the upper end stores, but those as well. And nothing happens. I mean, they used to charge and you'd be released before the ink was dry on the, on the charge documents. Now they just don't charge you at all. I mean, we're to believe that they only could find three people from all that robbery that were, that took place after the uh, Kyle Rittenhouse decision. Because, of course, when you, when a jury makes a decision, you go and you rob stores. That's just the new America. That's what that's what people do now. And then no charges are brought. And then it encourages the behavior to escalate. So we live through all of that. Now, I predicted then. And it's come true now. I said every single city, every single county, any of these fools that defunded their police, within one year, they would be refunding them. And they are. All of them. Because you can't live like this. People can't live in fear that they can't come home, that they can't get to their place of business, 
that maybe barricades go up and you, you people are charging you rent to get into your own neighborhood. I mean, all these things happened. Horrifically bad stuff. So I think it is terrible that the Christmas parade attack by Daryl Brooks, who stands charged with all this, and there doesn't seem to be any doubt that he was the person in the red Ford van. They they video shows, they they appear to have their man. Why would you set this guy with any bail? And oh by the way, the thousand dollar bail that was set three weeks prior to this mass event that he perpetrated, allegedly, because we'll give him a chance to be tried, allegedly. He, he punched his girlfriend in the face, ran her over with his car at a gas station, and bail was set at $1,000. In what America does that happen? That never could have happened in days gone by. Only in woke, broke, joke, America. And it is no joke. So 60 people injured that wouldn't have been because in any normal past era in America, not error, era, E-R-A, Daryl Brooks would have been in jail. He wouldn't have been out. He would have been in jail waiting his trial and disposition would have happened. And whatever happened would have happened. But he wouldn't have been out of jail because they would have said the severity of this, the the assault, the the running over. Uh, and and his girlfriend, the mother of his child, and he ran her over with a car. And then if you go to all the different accounts of what happened with the Christmas parade, you had this beautiful group of elderly performers, amazing women. Then you had about 20 young girls. I think they were ages 9 through 12. This beautiful dance team. They got mowed down. The elderly gentle ladies mowed down 60, 60, 60 people injured. And then we have this White House still defending these lower cash bonds. It's it's beyond my ability to comprehend it. We, we are we are at a place that I never thought was possible. You, you look at the incremental bad things that have gone on in the last 30 plus years and there's definitely been efforts to radicalize but this is this is now on warp speed if you're a star trek fan a trans warp speed the likes of which we've never seen and i i come to the conclusion they know that power is about to be taken away believe me when i tell you on the guy benson show it is as close to 100 percent that there will be uh, the Republican Party in charge of at least the House of Representatives, but probably the House and the Senate. And if you look at any, for 100 plus years, if you look at any first midterm, the average number of seats that change, if nothing bad has gone on, if you're just breathing oxygen and everything's great, you're loving life and everything's wonderful, you love your job, you love your boss, everything's perfect. 28 seats change. This is inflation like we haven't seen since Jimmy Carter. You're paying right now, depending on which blend you get, 
and and what part of the country is listening to Guy's program, anywhere from, we'll say for regular unleaded, minimum. I know there's one state that we saw on Fox News today that was incredible. It was like $2.10, but that's, I don't even know how they do it. It's in Texas somewhere. Uh, and I guess because it's in Texas and the refinery capacity and whatnot, but you'll be paying three fifty to just under $6 a gallon right now, depending on what state, whether you're California. I can tell you in New Jersey, the, the premium blend is 402.9. A regular unleaded gallon is about 350-ish. And what's the solution? The president said a couple weeks ago, well, you know, I, I could I could open up the strategic petroleum reserves, but that would only lower gas 18 cents and that that wouldn't do anything. And And of course, two weeks later, uh, that's what he does. And I want, I want to give you perspective. I, I know that Fox News is doing a good job with this. Hardly anyone else, else in the media is doing, doing good by this. You have to understand, because if you don't know anything about oil, you think, oh, oh, fantastic. The president has really stepped up and he has taken action because this is a president that closed our Keystone XL pipeline down, has stopped drilling on federal lands, has aggravated the energy industry horribly, worse than Obama Biden did, uh, helped Putin get a pipeline, screwed America, screwed Canada. But but for some reason, Trudeau still loves Biden and won't criticize this. But he shut him down. I mean, it's unbelievable, truly unbelievable. We're getting more oil from Russia uh, than we are from Alaska. I mean, it's just it's nuts what's going on. But I want to give you perspective, even though and it's it's incredible to me. The Secretary of Energy is just like Secretary of Transportation Buttigieg. The guy was off for two months and nobody even knew it. He he doesn't know anything. Bad mayor of South Bend, Indiana, horrifically bad uh, Secretary of Transportation, and they're trying to build him up because Biden and Kamala Harris are not doing well. They're building this guy up, Buttigieg, like he's the next president. He's a joke. And I think Granholm, uh, the former governor, the Secretary of Energy, is even worse. She was asked directly. Uh, about how much, you know, oil we use per day. And she didn't know. She had no idea how much oil per day we burn. Even I know, just a talk show host, and even I know how much oil we burn a day. If you use 2020 numbers, it's 18 point some odd million barrels a day. And if you use probably 2021 numbers, it's closer to probably 20 million barrels a day. So, I mean, let's consider that it's 18. Well, And I'm telling you it's not, but that's fair. It's the last complete year. That's fair. Here's what General, uh, Jennifer Granholm had to say on this question about how many barrels of oil. Dan, cut nine. How many barrels of oil does the U.S. consume per day? I don't have that number in front of me. I don't have that number in front of me. Sorry. She should have had that number in in her head, in the front front of mind. You're the energy secretary, and we have a, a oil crisis, the likes of which we haven't seen in decades. And by the way, 10 months ago, we were energy independent and a net oil exporter. And now we've turned to beg Saudi Arabia, Russia, China, 
United Kingdom and others to open up their spigots because the president of the United States is closing ours and the secretary of energy doesn't know that we use somewhere between 18 and 20 million barrels a day, which as we go into the break, let me share with you this fantastical realization, this amazing news that was celebrated like like the president took the greatest action, you know, since who knows what is good for about 2.2 to 2.5 days, depending on which numbers you believe, which numbers you use. We'll be back. You can't make this stuff up. Truth is stranger than fiction. Happy Thanksgiving Eve. This is The Guy Benson Show. The Guy Benson Show. More next. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Welcome back to The Guy Benson Show with Christine Wyatt and Dan. I'm Harry Hurley filling in for Guy, who will be back on Monday. And again, happy Thanksgiving Eve from The Guy Benson Show. We'll conclude this hour on something that I think finally may be gaining traction. For one moment, and and I'll tell you, Peter Ducey, this guy's got broad shoulders because he is in there the only one, this Fox News fearless reporter, White House press corps, just lone ranger, because the rest of them, I mean, they just they're just allowing this this atrocity to go on, this charade of a president who cannot take questions. We have a president who reads a teleprompter badly and then takes no questions. But for one moment, Fox News all-star Peter Ducey had company, CBS News reporter, pleading about when will you take questions? Incredible. Dan, cut 29. As you gather together with your family this Thanksgiving, I want you to know how grateful I am to serve as your president. And I promised you that I'll never stop working to address your family's needs. And together we're going to confront challenges that we face them, are going to face them honestly. And that we'll keep building this economy around hardworking folks who built this country. Happy Thanksgiving. God bless you and may God protect our troops. And I'm heading to a a food kitchen to serve meals right now. Thank you for your time and effort. I'll have plenty of time to talk to you later. They were bringing up when he was with the world leader and they didn't take questions then. That's very, very unusual. And that's got to be very awkward for the world leader because they, they're used to something you know much more dignified and, and, and expecting questions but the american president can't take questions because it, it appears that he's not able to and it looks like the white house press corps is waking up peter ducey has been on the job terrifically but it looks like they've had enough and you might see this change liz peak is going to join us next fox news contributor a great columnist this is the guy benson show With Fox News Podcasts Plus, you can enjoy all your favorite Fox News podcasts without commercials. Subscribe now at foxnewspodcasts.com. Live from the most powerful city in the world, unconventional talk from a fresh, unconventional conservative, Kai Benson Show.
Happy Thanksgiving Eve from the Guy Benson Show, partnering with Christine, Wyatt, and Dan. My name is Harry Hurley, filling in just for today. Guy, we'll be back on Monday. This is the Guy Benson Show. We have a terrific guest standing by on the Guy Benson Show Newsmaker Hotline, Liz Peake, Fox Fox News contributor and a fabulous columnist for foxnews.com. And let me recommend for some of your pre-Thanksgiving Day reading, if you haven't read it in the last day or so, less than two days ago, Liz came out with an opinion editorial at foxnews.com that is absolutely spectacular in terms of its content. And it really, finally, you, you, you have an intellectually honest broker out there, a national uh, presenter that understands that this whole BBB, Build Back Better bunk, I throw a fourth B into there, uh, is a boondoggle. And ironically, it sticks it to the middle class, which is absolutely fantastical because the entire uh, Biden doctrine is that he's, you know, Scranton Joe, although he's in Nantucket right now, Liz, uh, Scranton Joe is looking out for the little guy. Liz, welcome to the Guy Benson Show. (laughs) Thank you very much for having me on. I I do love the optics of Joe Biden going to stay with David Rubenstein, one of the world the, the country's wealthiest human beings. Terrific guy, I have to say, very entertaining, very smart. Owns one of the biggest places on Nantucket. Uh, and that just isn't where you expect Grant and Joe to, you know, spend his holidays. But what the heck? People have come to understand that the Joe Biden uh, life story is, uh, or sort of his his narrative, if you will, is completely baloney. Yeah. And uh, you know, he's a wealthy guy, and he's uh, chummy with all the Democrat donors, including David Rubenstein. And by the way, you know, voters are also coming, wising up to the fact that Democrats now have become the party of the rich elites. I mean, there's no doubting that. That's where the numbers were in the 2020 election. Uh, Wall Street gave to not Donald Trump. They gave to Joe Biden. The Chamber of Commerce didn't give to Donald Trump. They gave to Joe Biden. So, uh, you know, I think it's time for a little bit of a reassessment of who speaks for the little guy. It is not Joe Biden. It is not the Democrat Party. Uh, Republicans are the people now speaking up for the little guy. What I thought, Liz, was absolutely hysterical, and I, I, I found it so funny because the White House press secretary didn't just see the that this was just oozing and delicious, just hilarity and irony. She's there's a little bit of pushback, as you know, barely other than Peter Ducey, barely a little pushback coming. I think they finally the White House press corps is sick of a teleprompter being read in front of them. Yeah. And the president turns his back. And the other day he, he, he was like a rock star with his own music, only it was Muzak. Uh, horrific Muzak, and he left with his own music as though that would be like, like okay, now I can't hear you yelling to me to, I have a question, well, you know, what about your meeting? What about, what about this? What about that? And, and so they played music, which is hysterical. But before the music, Jen Psaki was asked about, about the pretty much just like you put it very, very well, Liz, about, hey, you know, this is Thanksgiving and what kind of message is, is President Biden sending? Jen Psaki's answer and I, I can't I couldn't believe she said it because, you know, she has that book. She thumbs through real quick. They got answers ready to go. I watch her. You know, she's got very fast hands on that binder. And she goes and says it. Come on. It's it's Thanksgiving. It's, you know, everybody is spending time with with their family and the people that they love. Uh, hello. Meanwhile, 
He's going to Rubenstein in Nantucket, the multi-billionaire. Liz, do you see the the incredible delusional irony here? Well, I, look, uh, I think that you know, as I say, I think it speaks for itself. That's the that's the choice that he made. I know he's gone to Nantucket for a bunch of years. This is not something new, but but here's my issue with this a little bit. I mean, I think Americans are coming around to thinking this is just an incompetent president, an incompetent White House. And if I were advising him and my approval ratings were in the toilet, Mm -hmm. I think somebody might step up and say, you know, maybe this just isn't really the time to do this trip. You know, why don't you just postpone it? Do it. Hopefully year two, your approval ratings aren't like the worst ever on record. Uh, Maybe, you know, this is a time to kind of go out there, go to your home, spend time with your family, just sort of be like other Americans. I mean, after all, how many times has he called out billionaires for not paying their fair share right. or talked about, you know, the, the 1% and how, you know, we have to kind of rein them in. Well, that's who he's having dinner with. Are they, are they going to be talking about carried interest, for example? <laughs> you know, the, the tax break that has made private equity Zions like David Rubenstein unbelievably wealthy amongst the wealthiest people in America? Yeah. We're paying capital it. gains in real time. Before. Yeah, I mean, come on. <laughs> Unrealized capital gains. Yeah, hi. Yeah. I, I, you, you don't pay your fair share, but let's have to Turkey right now. Yeah, it, exactly. You it's, can, it's, you it's can pay your fair share by serving yeah. me dinner, which will be nice. Um, you know, but I think on this other thing about him not being responsive to the press corps, if your job is to cover the president and he never says anything, he never answers questions, I think you're getting a little fed up. And they yeah. sound like they're getting fed up. And the truth is, American presidents are meant to be answerable, not just to the press, but to the American people. And this guy isn't answerable, literally or figuratively, to anybody. I mean, he basically thinks somehow that he is above questioning, that he doesn't have to respond. And, get, you know, guess what? There are a lot of questions we all would like to ask him, like, like how exactly does your Build Back Better program lower costs, lower prices? I really want to hear them answer that. I know Joe Biden doesn't know that because it doesn't. It's a complete fantasy. So it'd be really terrific if they had a chance to ask him. And, and on top of that, sometimes all right, you have a president who's shaky, but then you would think you would have in place a cabinet that would be razor sharp. Yeah, but he, no kidding. He's got, he's got, you know, we heard of team of rivals with Lincoln and with Obama to an extent. With Biden, it's, I mean, no offense, it's dunces. How can you be no. the secretary of energy, a former governor? Yeah. I know as a talk show host that in 2020 it was 18 yeah, million barrels too. a day. And I know you know that. You're the great Liz Peak, And <laughs> oh, I, well. I know that in 2020 it's more like 20 million barrels a day. So... The president of the United States, who said two weeks ago, really, that that wouldn't do anything. I have the power to, you know, open the, the strategic petroleum reserves, but it really wouldn't do anything. I could lower maybe the price by 18 cents for a very short while, but it really wouldn't do anything. And then two weeks later, it's exactly what he's doing. But I don't. I, I wonder, and I think they're picking up on it. Do the American people understand that if we just round up and say we use 20 million barrels a day? that he just saved the day for about 2.2 days. I know. What does that it's even so, mean? What I think is so funny is that oil prices went up 2% the yes. day that he announced it. Right. You know, I mean, on Jennifer Granholm, I was actually, I was shocked Horrified. at that. Because 
that is the obvious question that someone was going to ask her, right? Yep. I mean, 25 million barrels a day doesn't mean anything except relative to what we are consuming and also maybe what we're producing. But, but to have her not have that number at hand um, suggests an arrogance about what she's doing, I think. I don't know the woman. Maybe she's very humble. Maybe she works really hard. But anyone who's in that position has to go out and face questions about a decision like this who doesn't bone up, who doesn't yeah. have those answers ready. Yeah. I find that unconscionable. Yeah, it was, and, that, it was by it, the way, it, yeah, you know, the big news about her appointment was it's the first female ahead of the you know Secretary of Energy. That's right. the only thing that matters to this White House. They have totally used... Uh, you know, sorted appointments by gender, by race, by nationality. It is so stupid. And as a result, forgive me, we do not necessarily have the best people in all those fields yeah. to guide I, I don't, our country. Liz, I don't think we've ever had a Secretary of Energy that could not have answered that basic know, question really? at any time, and I especially agree. when it is such a hot button that people are paying yeah. so much at the pump right now. And for Guy Benson Show listeners that didn't hear it, I want you to hear the context so that you can't say that Liz and Harry are just being tough <laughs> on Granholm uh, or making it up. Dan, cut nine. How many barrels of oil does the U.S. consume per day? I don't have that number in front of me. I don't have that number in front of me. Sorry. And you probably... But she has it behind her, probably. Right, that was behind her, exactly. turned around, you know, there it would have been. <laughs> and she had to know that she was absolutely going to just be eviscerated for that later, because that, that does not inspire confidence, to say the very no. least. And what it means is she doesn't know anything. She's unqualified. I think Buttigieg, and he was picked for an obvious reason as well, uh, yep. he's completely incompetent. He And in fact, that's pretty scary, and I know you know this, Liz, he went away for two months and nobody yeah. even knew. Yeah, I know. Didn't How do you him. do that? <laughs> I you'd don't be know. missed. You'd be missed. Hey, where's your column, Liz? You'd be missed yeah. in two days. I mean, I, it, I, it's very disheartening. But I think you make a really good point. If you're a, a man of average intelligence, which is a, a sort of a compliment to Joe Biden, <laughs> and you become president, amazingly late in life, uh, you should ha- you should be on guard to have the very best yes. minds available. Let's compare Anthony Blinken to Mike Pompeo, for example. There all right? I mean, Anthony Blinken has overseen one diplomatic snafu after another. It is an embarrassment. And I don't hold anything against the guy personally. He's just way over his skis, unqualified yep. for this job. And I mean, I'm really trying to be fair-minded here, I did, but I mean, the the guy has failed. And so, uh, you know, how do you end up in a diplomatic tiff with France? Yeah, <laughs> you know, oh, I know, really I know. Hard. And and and, and if we go back in time, at the time of the uh, the Afghanistan debacle, you you had a completely incompetent secretary yeah. of of the. Um, the Defense Department, and yeah. I, I love him for his service, a general, and his his um, progression through through his career and through the ranks. But oh my gosh, what they did! And of course, there's the Biden uh, audio that's out there for anybody that wants to hear it. How he said exactly years ago what you don't do, and then he went and did it. I yeah. mean, it, it's really scary stuff. In the two three minutes that we have, Liz, and those just joining us, Fox News contributor Liz Peak, also fabulous FoxNews.com columnist. Title is Bernie Sanders gets his five trillion dollar bill. Uh, I come to the conclusion in your awesome piece here that middle class America gets it right in the neck here. 
Well, we know that because how are they going to pay for this bill, which doesn't cost two trillion or two and a half or whatever number they want to put on it? It's more like five trillion if you're honest about yeah. it. Uh, it, it. They're going to raise taxes on corporations. Who does that hurt? Uh, it hurts workers absolutely and shareholders, but basically corporations pass those taxes on in the way of lower wages and also lower dividends. So that's really a bust. Uh, and ultimately, when you send out another aspect of raising revenue, sending out 87,000 IRS agents, yeah. they're not going to just tap on the door of David Rubenstein and other multi-billionaires because those people already are under scrutiny by the IRS. It is yep. small business owners, people who traditionally uh, maybe have been below the radar, but when you amp up spending by the IRS and, and personnel and so forth, give those agents, by the way, something that your listeners may not have heard, not only opportunity to go and audit people, but to assess fines and also uh, tell, you know, like um, withhold wages uh, on people who've been uh, decided that they alone have decided have cheated on their taxes. This yeah. is really an incredible infringement of people's yeah. privacy rights, whatever. But again, middle-class Americans are going to feel this. By the way, middle-class Americans are not stupid. They get nope. it that it, inflation is the biggest tax of all. That is what this bill will do. It'll raise prices, and it's going to hurt Americans. And that's why the vice president is in the upper 20s and the president is in the low 30 approval percentile. Final minute, Liz, see if you agree with me on this. And I think it's very cruel. Uh, I'm not not faulting CBO. They scored what they got. Uh, I faulted a little bit, but not enough to take umbrage about it. And, you know, they didn't give him a full, you know, clean bill of health. But but I think they did did him a solid, if you will. But this much I do know. They're introducing enticing programs that are only paid for for a certain period of time, a short period of time, and they sunset. But then again, once they're baked in, do they really sunset at all? So these are fake numbers, Liz. Oh, totally fake numbers. And the CBO went along with it because they have to really abide by what they are given. Yep. Yep. What they are given was basically a, ver- a pack of lies. And, and it is really distrustful. Again, if the president were any kind of man, he would stand up and answer questions about this bill. He won't because he cannot answer them. Read Liz Peek at foxnews.com all the time in her latest work. Bernie Sanders gets his $5 trillion bill. Liz Peek opinion column, foxnews.com. Great to be Thank with you, you, Liz. Thank you so much for having me. Enjoyed it. Take care. Happy Thanksgiving. Bye now. We will be back in just a moment. Please don't go away. A lot of important content straight ahead because you've earned it. This is The Guy Benson Show. Fresh conservative talk. Guy Benson Show. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Welcome back to the Guy Benson Show, partnering with Christine White and Dan. I'm Harry Hurley. Guy will be back on Monday. And again, happy Thanksgiving Eve from the Guy Benson Show. This topic is um, rather maddening. It's it's in keeping with the torturing of the English language that's going on. You know that the AP Stylist book takes out words that were perfectly um, and often used, readily used words, and they remove them. There's this uh, scrubbing that's going on of textbooks, of 
words in the dictionary and so on and so forth. And the latest victim is the word looting. Now, the word looting has been used forever. And it means what it means. If you go to the dictionary, and we thought that was pretty important, if we're going to talk about this word, what, is it, what does the dictionary specifically say? It's a noun, goods, especially private property, taken, stolen money or valuables, uses a verb, stealing goods from a place, and, and they even mentioned stealing goods in a riot. Okay, so we have rioting going on. We have looting going on, and you have to pay attention to these things because what starts in California, it infects the entire country. So this isn't, you just don't say, oh, it's just crazy, California, and, 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 and pay it no mind. But this is serious. Now, you, I'm sure they're under orders, and, and military and paramilitary folks follow orders, but police and law enforcement in California, experts, they are arguing that the term looting shouldn't be used to describe the recent large-scale thefts in California because it has racial connotations. There's an old expression, when everything is racist, nothing is racist. When everything is racial, nothing is racial. There is excellent comprehensive coverage at the NewYorkPost.com, NYPost.com on this topic. And I can't believe that we're even having this discussion. We've watched just since the Kyle Rittenhouse decision. Let's see what happens tonight. Because that verdict went, if you will, according to Hoyle. So then there should be total peace. There shouldn't be any robberies. Nothing should be set on fire. There should be peace, right? uh, Peace and tranquility should be happening. But I'm not so sure that that's going to be the case. But I do know after Kyle Rittenhouse, very expensive stores had a lot of merchandise, very, very expensive merchandise stolen. That in every single time in American history, it would be reported, and in casual conversations with friends, it would be looting happened last night. Did you hear? They looted the stores. The looting was going on. Now, that word, what are you allowed to say? That they took things that were not their own? They don't charge them with anything. We'll be back. I know, it's frustrating. You can't believe it's happening, but it is. When we come back in just a little bit, the former governor of New Jersey, Chris Christie, on The Guy Benson Show. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. Talking about the issues you care about. Guy Benson. Welcome back to the Guy Benson Show. Filling in today for Guy, it's Harry. Partnering with Christine Wyatt and Dan. Guy will be back on Monday. And again, happy Thanksgiving Eve. Guy will be best of tomorrow, best of on Friday. Back on Monday Live. We have on the Guy Benson Show Newsmaker Hotline a very longtime friend of mine. 
and I want to wish Governor Christie and Mary Pat and Andrew and Sarah and Patrick and Bridget a very happy Thanksgiving. It's a very close-knit family, the Christie family. Governor Chris Christie is the 55th governor of the state of New Jersey, former United States attorney, where actually for the first time, and I've been on air for 30 years, I covered his time as U.S. attorney. He was the first U.S. attorney to actually go after political crime in the state of New Jersey. Uh, He had an extraordinary record, and it served as a launching pad for two consecutive wins for the governorship of New Jersey. Very tough for a Republican to do, and he did it twice. Best-selling New York Times author in our conversation today, we will. it'll be the equivalent of reviewing Governor Christie's new book, Republican Rescue, Saving the Party from Truth Deniers, Conspiracy Theorists, and the Dangerous Policies of Joe Biden. Let's not forget that, because that's what the book is about. He's been getting uh, worked over in the Democrat media because they want him to, to, to trash President Trump all day, all night. Uh, everything's in the book because he's a truth teller. But this book is about the disaster that Joe Biden is. Governor Christie is also a network television political analyst, so he knows how to give as good as he gets, and he's from New Jersey, so ditto to that. Governor Christie, welcome back, my friend. Harry, great to talk to you. How are you today? I am well. Happy Thanksgiving, Governor. Same to you, my friend. Happy Thanksgiving. I think we should comment, you being you know, the U.S. attorney that you used to be, we've had two extraordinary verdicts which in my estimation, you, you, you were an officer of the court, and you still are, you're a lawyer. I'm not. But as a layperson, a broadcaster, I think it proves that our jury system is not dead, that our jury system is alive and well. There's two verdicts that took place that I accept are just. I'm sad that our president celebrated one and trashed another. I have a problem with that, and I want to ask you your thoughts about that. But what do you say to my comment generally about Two different cases where, oh, by the way, video saved, I believe, each verdict. Because if Kyle Rittenhouse didn't have the video, he's a goner. And if the video didn't exist in the Travis McMichael, Father Gregory, and the neighbor William uh, Rody Bryan, if the video doesn't exist there, there's not even a trial because it went three, four months until the video popped up in May. What are your thoughts, Governor? Well, I, I agree with you, Harry. I, I would say that's exactly what I said and tweeted out um, after the Rittenhouse verdict, was that, you know, the jury system works. We should celebrate the jury system. You know, it's not perfect, Harry, but it is the best system anyone's come up with to deal with the uh, question of guilt or innocence um, in our society or in any society. And I think that both of these juries are to be commended for not allowing public passion or prejudice um, to infect what they did. They sat, they listened to the facts, the evidence that was put forward uh, by the prosecution and defense in both cases, and they came to what I think, at least, now I didn't watch every minute of each trial, um, but from everything I've read and observed, I think they came to just verdicts on, on both cases, both the Rittenhouse case and the Aubrey case. Yeah, I do, too. Governor Chris Christie on the Guy Benson Show Newsmaker Hotline. President Biden, when they got him by himself and a member of the media, asked the president for a comment on the Kyle Rittenhouse trial. He said, quote, look, I stand by what the jury has concluded. The jury system works and we have to abide by it. But then, of course, he got to Prime Minister Klain or or Susan Rice or whoever's running the show, because it clearly isn't our president. He's a spectator to to his own presidency. He comes out the same day with a new statement. 
feeling angry and concerned about the verdict, I think that's a terrible thing for a sitting president, a sitting president or any president to say your thoughts about that. Yeah, I agree with you 100 percent. It's awful. It's absolutely awful to have um, a president question um, the, the, the actions of a jury and, and especially to question the actions of of a jury where it appears he doesn't, you know, agree politically. Right. With these things. I mean, that's that should have nothing to do with it. Um, now, you're right, Harry, as a prosecutor for seven years, but I used to say all the time to my prosecutors, um, look, your job is without passion or prejudice to get to justice. And sometimes justice means not bringing charges against someone. Right. And that's what the Rittenhouse um, uh, prosecutors forgot, that sometimes being a prosecutor means not bringing charges. But that's Governor Christie, we're going to uh, you went in a bad cell just for a moment. Uh, Dan's going to uh, resolve the um, the connection on the phone and we're going to get you right back. You're listening to Governor Chris Christie. And when he comes back, I do want to ask him because the president's statement on Arbery, it, it was lickety split. I mean, and it came from Nantucket. I want to ask Governor Christie what, what he thinks about that optic. It's almost like a let them eat cake. It, it, that's fine, Dan. It, it's almost like a let them eat cake moment where the president said right before leaving for Nantucket, hey, there's plenty of food in the store. The American people are fine. There's plenty of stuff for you to buy. Well, what if you what if there's plenty of stuff for you to buy, which I also dispute because of the broken supply chain that nationwide I know there are people listening right now saying, hey, wait a minute. I couldn't get this. I couldn't get that. I know somebody today that's looking for a regular staple for Thanksgiving tomorrow, went to about three or four different stores, all out, couldn't find it. This notion that everything is just fine. And the, the and, and Biden, President Biden, I want to show respect, saying that the American people have plenty of money and there's plenty of stuff on the shelves. So the American people won't have any problem buying everything that they want. And then he he takes off with his um, multi-billionaire pal to Nantucket. Just something about that has a let them eat cake modality to it. And then what I want to ask Governor Christie when we get him right back, it's, it's just a phone connection issue, is the statement that came out with no delay, no mincing of words, respecting the decision, using the decision, I want to say, as, as a teacher, teachable moment. Uh, Governor Christie, I was just speaking about the president's statement. Okay, uh, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll continue to effort to get Governor Christie. Um, but the, the issue of President Biden on Ahmad Arbery versus the president on Kyle Rittenhouse. I mean, it's, it's like there's two different presidents. And the whole idea, you know, he, I don't think he has learned that he's not one of 100. He's not a senator. And I'm not sure what he understands, to be, to be totally frank. But look at this. I mean, this is a, I don't agree with this decision, 
or with this statement, rather, from President Joe Biden. And it's dated today. It was immediately released following the the verdict, uh, the guilty verdicts of McMichael, the two McMichaels, Travis and Gregory and uh, Brian, William Rody Brian. And it just could not be more unambiguous. I don't agree with it because he's using this, I think, as a sort of woke, teachable type moment that I don't believe anywhere near a majority of the American people agree with this agenda. It's probably he, they are taking on the approach of like going after the 30 percent and and seeding the 70 percent. Governor Christie, what I just was saying when we got disconnected for a quick moment there was that President Biden's statement on Rittenhouse was so, I mean, so messed up for so many reasons, yet the statement on Arbery I disagree with it completely, but unambiguous. He uses it sort of as a woke, teachable moment where it's a devastating reminder of how far we have to go in the fight for racial justice and all of this. But it's like we have two different presidents, but we don't. We have one, but they have an agenda, don't they, Governor Christie? There's no question, Harry. And and, and this is what makes people not have faith in the justice system and so many other parts of our government, because there are moments like the Aubrey verdict, like the Rittenhouse verdict, that have nothing to do with politics. Yep. And should have nothing to do with politics. And not everything that happens in the United States should be a moment where we attempt to use it for political advantage. Now, look, Harry, I'm a political animal. I've been in, operated in one of the most politically contentious states in the country. But there are moments which are just not to be used for politics. We showed that during Hurricane Sandy. Yep. There are a number of other examples. And, and these are, are two more examples where Joe Biden is just tone deaf. Were you impressed, Governor Christie, when President Biden released 50 million barrels of oil from our strategic petroleum reserves and we use our secretary of energy didn't know, wasn't even close, had no answer to how many barrels of oil we we use a day scary stuff governor christie that's that's your secretary of energy uh messing up in real time but he he took enough oil for about 2.2 days of our consumption so in other words i think it was a political gimmick steve scalise i think used those exact words you know steve uh good actor honest broker uh this was a political gimmick this didn't this doesn't solve the energy crisis that he has created does it no one's going to be fooled by that. And even while he was doing it, he was trying to lower expectations by saying, well, you know, and it'll take a while for you to see the effect of this at the pump um, and implying that somehow that was the fault of the oil and gas companies. I mean, look, this is a guy who sees his presidency after. Look, Harry, he's he's been trying to be president for 32 years before he finally became president. Yeah, true. And he now is finally there, and he sees it, you know, just absolutely spiraling downward, and he's becoming desperate to try to save it in any way that he possibly can. And so he's using these different excuses and issues, um, you know, like the 50 million barrels, which, you know, for anybody who knows anything about this knows that it's um, – it's laughable that that could solve the crisis for 330 million people across a continental country. Republican Rescue, you talk a lot about 
looking forward. I know what you mean by that. Now, of course, I know in some of these interviews you're doing, you're on quite a um, incredible book tour at the moment. They want to just work you over and get you to say certain things. But I don't think looking forward is code speak or anything like that. It's about winning the next election in 2022 and winning the next election after that in 2024, correct? Yeah, let me be really clear, Harry. The, one of the points of the book is that we should not be wasting time on the last election, that we always have to be worried, concerned, and preparing for the next election. And the next election is 2022. And what I want is our party to be completely focused on laying out a specific, conservative, exciting agenda for the people of this country so that when they go to the polls in 2022, they not only already know how disastrous the Biden presidency has been. They can see that with their eyes every day. But they, we need to tell them, here's what we do differently. Here's how we would govern better. And here's why you should put the keys to the car in our hands. And I think you have to do that. You know, elections are always about tomorrow. They're never about yesterday. And Virginia is the best example of that, Harry. You had Glenn Youngkin of Virginia talking about cutting the grocery tax about putting parental choice back into education and by creating jobs, that's a tomorrow agenda. Terry McAuliffe did nothing but run TV commercials on Donald Trump. That's a yesterday agenda. And the voters rewarded the person who had the exciting, smart tomorrow agenda. That's what this book is all about. Governor Christie, we have about a minute and a half. And There's so much I want to ask you. We'll conclude with this one. In any election, the first midterm for over 100 years, the the party that's not in power in the White House picks up an average of 28 seats. This almost seems impossible. I mean, I think there's about 70 Democrat seats in uh, jeopardy right now as it stands. I'm not saying that Republicans will pick up 70, but they're in play. This I think it's almost impossible. I hate to say it because I know that 10, 11 months is a long time in politics. It can be a lifetime. But this is teed up for Republicans to at least win the House. And I also believe, even though it's it's obviously a tougher lift because they're defending more seats, to win the Senate as well. Your thoughts in about a minute. Yes. Um, Look, Harry, I agree with you. The ball is teed up for us. But we better not swing and miss. Yeah. Um, We've got to put forward a smart, forward-looking agenda for the American people so they have faith and confidence in us to do the job the right way. That'll help stop what uh, Biden and Harris are trying to do right now and will give us the momentum we need towards 2024 to be able to win back the White House. On the Senate side, I think you're right. The map is particularly tough for us in 2022. But if we can get some exciting candidates recruited for a number of these important seats, and and I will tell you, one of them I think – I hope that Doug Ducey will run in Arizona because uh, that's a seat we could win back and could yep. could make the difference. So we need to do those things. And, and, Harry, what everybody needs to understand is that we need to be the party of tomorrow, the party that tells the truth to the American people and hits them right between the eyes with it. That's what they want. It's not what they're getting from Joe Biden, not what they got from him in the campaign, and not what they're getting from him as president. And that's why his approval numbers are so dismal. Well, you treated your customer very well because I did buy your book, uh, Chris Christie, Republican Rescue, Amazon.com, all usual suspects. It really is a great read, Governor. Congratulations, and uh, we'll talk again soon. 
Harry, thanks for buying the book. Thanks for having me on today. And happy Thanksgiving to you and your beautiful wife. Same to you and your family, Governor. Be well. We'll be right back. Please don't go away. This is The Guy Benson Show. The Guy Benson Show. More next. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Hey, thank you for spending this portion of your Thanksgiving Eve on The Guy Benson Show with Christine Wyatt and Dan. I'm Harry Hurley filling in today for Guy Guy. We'll be back live on Monday. Let's take this hour out on a low note because this is really it's it's pathetic and it's embarrassing. And yes, we've talked about it uh, in this hour and also with Liz Peake earlier, but just incredible. The, the energy secretary of the United States of America, it would be like you not knowing if you drive a taxi what what the rate is on a, on a trip that you're doing. Cut nine, Dan. How many barrels of oil does the U.S. consume per day? I don't have that number in front of me. Sorry. I don't have that number in front of me. Sorry. Governor Jennifer Granholm, the secretary of energy on the basic question. I, I don't know who that was. I think it was a, it could have been a CBS reporter. I can't remember. No, the CBS reporter was the one that, that finally had it with uh, Jen Psaki. And, and finally, Peter Ducey had some backup on the White House press corps. But this was a good question. And I'll tell you why. When you have a thin actor that is unqualified and just completely not fit for a particular position, ask the most basic, stupid, simple question and then watch the head turn a little sideways, and there's nothing, nothing between the ears on the topic. And I will tell you, that to me is disqualifying, truly disqualifying. We'll be back in just a few minutes. Don't go away. It's The Guy Benson Show. News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. It's 5 o'clock in the most powerful city in the world, Washington, D.C. It's time for the Guy Benson Show Happy Hour, sponsored by the Finnish Long Drink. Finland's most popular alcoholic beverage has come to America. Visit thelongdrink.com. And now, here's your host, Guy Benson. Happy Thanksgiving Eve from the Guy Benson Show, partnering with Christine Wyatt and Dan. I'm Harry Hurley, filling in today for Guy, who will be back on Monday. Guy will um, have best of programming tomorrow, Thanksgiving, and on Friday, back live on Monday. Welcome to The Guy Benson Show. We'll be joined in just a moment by the great Dr. Mark Siegel, the Fox News medical correspondent, author of the book COVID, The Politics of Fear and the Power of Science. And he has a really important column about the booster shot, because there is a lot of confusion who should get the booster shot? I mean, and, and the uh, the uh, Food and Drug Administration last week expanded its emergency use authorization for the COVID vaccine boosters to all adults over the age of 18. So this is going to open up a whole world of um, possibilities. 
for people who have been waiting. If you've taken the Pfizer or you've taken Moderna, I'm not as up on the one-shot J&J, the Johnson & Johnson, but six, seven months, you know, you're in the market for the booster. And we'll see if, unless Dr. Siegel countermands me on that, that's uh, basically been the um, the math. And then there there is also, and I found it very, very interesting, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention agreed, and they also went further recommending that all fully vaccinated adults over 50 receive it. So I think that was a very important distinction from 65 and older to talking about the 50 through 64. Joining us now is the distinguished doctor, the Fox News medical correspondent and author of COVID, The Politics of Fear and the Power of Science. You can find him. His handle on Twitter is at Dr. Mark Siegel. Dr. Siegel, welcome to The Guy Benson Show. Harry, great to be on with you, and uh, you're always great filling in for a guy who's also great. I want to tell you, before you even ask me a question, that the whole thing we need to do here is simplify the message, don't you think? I, I totally agree. That's why you're here, and you're the best at doing that. Right. If you make it complicated, we're going to lose the, 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 the people that would be persuadable, that, that, need, that need this, uh, by making it very complicated, when you're very good at bringing it down to a listenable and understandable level. So who, and, you, and, and I want to recommend, please read Dr. Mark Siegel's piece at the Wall Street Journal. It's an opinion piece, but really it actually should qualify uh, as just truth because it really is. And you've concluded about this COVID booster shot. Tell your listeners, doctor. And exactly where I was going to start. I think that the message should be that everyone over the age of 18 who had the Pfizer or the Moderna shot or the J&J for that matter, uh, more than six months ago, J&J more than two months ago, should get a booster shot, period, except if they've gotten over COVID. And I'll tell you how to factor that in. I count COVID as one shot. What you need to understand and our listeners need to understand is there's no durable immunity here. There's nothing that we can point to that says, okay, it's going to be a bad winter, but you're out of the woods. If you had COVID and you got a vaccine shot, that's a pretty strong immunity. If you had two vaccine shots and didn't have COVID, it's waning. And the studies out of Israel, which I point to, show that it's waning significantly, both in terms of getting infected or getting really sick if you're infected. Well, yeah. listeners are now saying, hearing that, okay, that's simple, but what about younger people who don't get that bad a case? And I have an answer to that, too. I don't like losing my sense of smell, Harry. Yeah. I don't like what they're calling a brain fog. I don't like anything. And I, and I think we've unnecessarily scared people against this vaccine or they've scared themselves, or politicians have caused this. But I wrote a book on fear. I've written a couple of books on fear. My first book on fear was after 9-11. It was about, you know, that was a bestseller. It was about how fear is used to control people. Well, that's what we're doing here. The vaccine is looking like it's very, very safe, at being, being given to hundreds of millions of people, billions of people around the world, side effects minor. And so I'd rather use the vaccine as a tool and give it to everyone who might transmit the virus, knowing that it doesn't, it isn't perfect at decreasing transmission. But if you're fully vaccinated and recently vaccinated or boosted, you're going to decrease transmission. That tool, plus one other tool I want to mention quickly, which has been completely overlooked by this administration, testing. I think testing is really the key. Not masking, but testing. Yeah. You know, if, if, if the administration would provide a free home test, rapid test to every house in America, and we could say before you go to Thanksgiving dinner, just do a 10-minute test, please. 
I think that would cut down on transmission tremendously. You're listening to Dr. Mark Siegel, Fox News medical correspondent, the author of COVID, The Politics of Fear and the Power of Science, and there's no question it's a shame. And I think we would probably have 10 more percent of the population vaccinated if it didn't turn so darn political, because I think we've done a good job uh, as a country in, in most of the age demos. What do you say, and this is something that's not talked about much, I personally know someone who has had COVID-19 twice, had it the first time, not so bad, had it the second time, and it was rough stuff. What do you say to someone that it has this false impression, oh my gosh, I had it and I did so well, it took a glancing blow, I was fine, but you don't know what's going to happen the next time, do you? No, and I would say having had COVID twice, you're probably protected, but I would make the point I made to you at the beginning here, which is add, a, add an mRNA vaccine to that, and you've got a super immunity. You've got, you've got a much more substantial immunity than any other way. Why not get that facing this? What if we get another variant? You know, the Delta variant infected a lot of people who were already either vaccinated or had COVID. And I just realized something as we're talking, Harry. One of the mistakes we doctors make, and, and, and everyone out there that takes a leadership role in, in informing the public of the pandemic, do not play to your viewers or your listeners. Don't provide them what you think they want. Tell them what you think the truth is, yeah. which is what we're doing now. Now, if you other countries are doing this, we don't do it. We don't treat someone that has natural immunity as though they have it at all. They, they, if, if there's a concert they want to go to and the, a concert artist or the venue says you have to either be vaccinated or have uh, a test within the last, whatever, 48 hours, 72 hours, uh, if you had COVID-19, I think that should be put on the card. And for whatever period of time is determined, if, we've, if we're following the science, Dr. Siegel, why do we ignore that? That's an enormous mistake that the left is making. And you're absolutely right. It's, high, it's a big part of the equation in both Israel and, and in Europe, yep. the digital pass. In Israel, they count six months if you've had COVID. They count uh, six more months if you've had COVID and you get a shot. Uh, you know, the vaccine gives you six months. Six months is the magic number. Then you want another six months, you get a booster. But you know what? even better than that? And Germany's calling this the three Gs. I hope they stick to this because they're about to go to a more mandatory uh, totalitarian. I hate that word associated with Germany, and I'll leave it at that. Yep. A, more, a more mandatory situation of lockdowns, which don't work and actually spread more virus because people are locked down together spreading virus. I mean, it's a, it's a very easily transmissible virus. Lockdowns were invented for the flu, not for this virus. And, and, you know, mandatory vaccinations causes great public unrest. But I like the three G's because it, and it's similar to the Israel's pass, which is either you're vaccinated or you had COVID, to your point, Harry, or you yep. get tested. Again, testing's got to be so hooray for three G's rather than two G's. Two G's like didn't include testing. I like that. Got to have Fox an arm of testing as an option. Fox News medical contributor, the great Dr. Mark Siegel. How about this one? And I totally concur with what you said. Me as a layperson, you're the expert. But Europe is blowing up right now. It's the worst that it has been during the entire time of the pandemic. They've done the most draconian lockdowns. And look what they have for it. They're in the worst shape as though they didn't do anything. It could. I don't think it could be worse. If they did nothing, it would be better. I think that don't we have now? We, we need to learn from what's actually going on. And, and not get guided by things that don't make sense, stupid stuff. I mean, Europe is in bad shape right now, correct, Dr. Siegel? 
Yeah, and we're heading there, too. We had 95,000 yep. new cases over the past day. We're averaging almost 100,000 cases a day. Death rates are remaining up. Hospitalizations are increasing. We're heading there. But let me tell you how simple this is, Harry. Again, simple. You know who's not doing badly? Spain and Portugal. Portugal, 90% vaccination rate. Spain, 80% fully vaccinated. Germany, 65%. And, you know, listeners might say, well, wait a minute. Why isn't 65% good enough to at least bend the curve? And I'll give you a really good answer. It's because of something called r naught. how transmissible the virus is. This transmissible virus is like looking for kindling. It's looking for a spark. You get a spark, it starts a fire. There's enough susceptible hosts out there at 65% to start a big roaring fire. When you get to 90% and you include in their natural immunity from infection, as we've been talking, there's no, they can't find the spark. They can't make a fire. We got to get vaccination that high. And for those of you out there who say, well, come on, Fauci, you said 70%, then he said 80%, yeah. then he said 90%. Well, look, that, that's not the point. That's a political argument, right, about somebody changing his mind all the time. The medical part of that is the more transmissible the virus and the less durable the immunity you're getting from vaccine or infection, the more, the higher the number you need. It's that simple. Measles, the vaccine works across the board, period. This vaccine is much better than we expected, yeah. but it's, it's not as durable. Yeah, that's the, the second part is very important. But guess what? If it's not as durable, as long as we do the booster, and I always say talk to your doctor first, but I am talking to my doctor, uh, America's doctor. Uh, I did the first shot. I did Pfizer. Uh, I took the first shot. I was back at work uh, 10 hours after I took the shot. Uh, and no, no problem. A little sore in the arm where I took the injection. And two days later, I mean, it was I wouldn't have known anything happened. Whatever it was when I was supposed to, I took the second one. I'm also boosted. I haven't said that publicly until now. I've taken the booster shot. Uh, I believe I believe in the science. I believe in the vaccine. I believe that it works. Where do we go from here, though? Because if we took the second shot six, seven months ago and we're now taking a booster shot, how long is the booster shot going to last? That's a great question. And again, it plays to public fears. You know, when, what, what are you saying? Take this, take another one. I'll give you the science on this. First of all, I'm recommending the booster shot. And Carlos Del Rio down in Atlanta, who's a top, top, top infectious disease expert, put it this way, and I like it. We're taking the boosters against the bad winner, okay? If you're boosted, you're less likely to spread this. You're less likely to get sick from it. And, yes, you're less likely to get severely ill. But we want to boost you in the face of a bad winner. Then I'm going to tell you we took the first two shots too close together, and I think this third shot may cement a better immunity, and I'm expecting this to last six months to a year. That's what I think. And by then, if I'm right, we're going to see emerging other vaccines that may have more what we're calling mucosal immunity, where they literally prevent you against infection better than this one. So I think we're going to transition to second generation vaccines in about a year. So I don't consider this going on in infinitum every, you know, every six months, Siegel says, take a booster. I think we're going to have a yearly shot against this thing, but I don't know that it's going to be this one. Is this a precursor to what we should expect this winter, Dr. Siegel, that Massachusetts, for example, they're cutting back on elective procedures? Other governors are saying that, I mean, they're at capacity in ICUs, so any voluntary elective type stuff, you know, can't happen right now. Is this, is this a sign of what we should expect to come? I hope not. That's what, we're, what I've been calling for a year and a half now, collateral damage. And to be totally fair, public health is not about COVID. It's about all of the impact 
of COVID, including psychological, physical delaying, uh, you know, delaying surgeries, delaying treatments, delaying cancer screenings. I mean, that's an enormous nightmare. And it's not going away. I mean, I, I, every expert I talk to that's an oncologist says to me, you know, to be honest, we're playing catch up still. We're still not where we should be. And we're, we're diagnosing cancers later. So hospitals are doing a really good job, by the way, at infection control precautions. You don't see a lot of stories about someone that got sick. You know, Michael Minna, who's the testing guy, uh, really terrific out of Harvard. He just switched over to EMED. He said something really important to me that I hadn't thought of. Again, for the home testing, Harry, you know, you got to go to a test center to get tested, right? Well, guess what? You can get COVID there, couldn't you? That's, that's so true. If you, have, if you have a test kit in your home and you don't have to go out to get tested, that will decrease transmission. If you can keep the hospitals free for things like surgeries and cancer screenings instead of overwhelming them with COVID, we'll, we'll help a lot more people in other areas than COVID. Heartbreak in 30 seconds, Dr. Siegel, and I know you got to get out of here, too, and I wish you a happy Thanksgiving. Let me not forget to say that. The column is, yes, you should get a COVID booster. In about 30 seconds, share with your listeners why they should get the third shot. And if you did well with the first, if you did well with the second, how are you going to do with the third shot? Well, so the, the side effects, Harry, on the third shot were well studied by Pfizer and over 10,000 people, and they're the same. You're not going to get more side effects with Moderna. You may get less because it's half the dose. They saw no myocarditis. Everybody's afraid of this myocarditis. A recent study, by the way, that's about to come out shows a very high level of myocarditis in athletes in their early 20s and late teens who took who got COVID. Wow. So, again, I would say let, let's get rid of COVID as much as we can. Let's stop minimizing COVID. The vaccine, I'm asking people to take it over the age of 18 to cement an immunity, to decrease transmission and decrease the, the chance that you're going to get severely ill. All three, very well tolerated. Simple message from Siegel, 18 and above, take the booster. Unless you've had COVID, then you may not meet, need a third shot. Probably you won't unless you're immunocompromised. Happy Thanksgiving, Dr. Siegel. Harry, great to be on with you, as always. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Turkey Day. You too. Honor your honor. We'll be back. This is The Guy Benson Show. The Guy Benson Show. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Welcome back to The Guy Benson Show with Christine Wyatt and Dan. I'm Harry Hurley filling in for Guy today. Best of Guy Benson Show tomorrow on Thanksgiving. Best of Guy Benson Show on Friday today. After Thanksgiving, Guy will be back live this Monday. We close this half hour of The Guy Benson Show with just an absolute total outrage. A statue of Thomas Jefferson that has been on a pedestal in New York City Hall. And remember, New York was a capital of America. Philadelphia was a capital. New York was a capital. There were several other capitals that are less talked about. And and believe it or not, the presidency, there were 10 years where before George Washington, there was a president each year. They never get talked about. But this statue has been standing there proudly for 187 years until now. That's 1834, just eight years after President Jefferson's death. In other words, it's been there so long, the statue almost stood while Jefferson was alive. Can you imagine? Let's, let's just go through the quick resume. Thomas Jefferson, 
was the founder of the University of Virginia, the author of the Declaration of Independence, the first United States Secretary of State, and the third President of the United States. Only Washington and Adams. Twelve years of presidents prior to him in all of American history. Removing a Jefferson statue should be objectionable to all Americans. It, it is an outrage. It's incredible to me. And keep in mind, when this statue was erected, Andrew Jackson, the president they compare to President Trump a lot, Andrew Jackson was the president of the United States. And this woke, broke, joke philosophy of governance, uh, the, the rationale is that Jefferson owned slaves. He, and he did. He owned 600 slaves in his lifetime. It's abhorrent. It's unacceptable. Slavery predates the founding of our country, though. And yes, it did take too long to repudiate it and to abolish slavery. No argument there either. But we cannot hold founders purging Washington, which they've done, Jefferson, which they've done. Even the great emancipator Lincoln has been purged. Icons of American history experiencing cancel culture. It's incredible. When we come back, one of the greats, Andrew McCarthy on The Guy Benson Show, next. Talking about the issues you care about, Guy Benson. Welcome back to The Guy Benson Show. Guy has the day off. Guy will be back on Monday. Harry Hurley filling in, partnering with Christine Wyatt and Dan. Always an honor to fill in. Poor guy. uh, Terrific at what he does. We have absolutely one of the best in the business. I mean, you talk about listenable, watchable. Andrew McCarthy, Fox News contributor, former assistant U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York. So we had U.S. attorney, Christy. We've got Andrew McCarthy, his incredible pedigree, author of a book that you should have in your library, not just for it to look pretty, but to actually read between the cover, the front cover and the back cover, the pages of Ball of Collusion, the plot to rig an election and destroy a presidency. On the Guy Benson Show Newsmaker Hotline is Andrew McCarthy. Andy, welcome. How are you, sir? Harry, I'm doing great. That's so kind of you. And happy Thanksgiving to you and all of uh, your listeners and Guy's listeners. Same to you. I, I appreciate uh, I'm I have to admit this. I've been doing what I've been doing for over 30 years. I'm a fan. I'm, I'm an Andy McCarthy fan because you are intellectually honest. You tell it like it is. You're not a homer. And I think you're going to like this first question because it gives you an opportunity as an officer of the court to appreciate and be able to opine on the Guy Benson show about how impressive our jury system is, even in these troubled, divided, messed up times. We now know our jury system is not broken because they got it right in the Kyle Rittenhouse case. And I'm not asking you to take a, a, a stand against the right. McMichaels or Brian, but they got it right, in my estimation, in the Arbery case as well. And they're, they're only similar in that video, in my view. You tell me if you agree or disagree, Andy. They're only similar in this, in this respect to me. Video saved both cases. It saved Kyle Rittenhouse from probably spending the rest of his life in jail. And it brought about a prosecution uh, in the Arbery case that probably never would have been brought forward. Your thoughts on my comment? Well, I think you're right about video. I actually think you're right about all of it, but it's uh, my appreciation of jurors is, uh, if it's possible, it's even deeper than that. And it's, and 
based on personal experience. But as far as the video aspect of this is concerned, I've been very interested in the last several weeks commenting on these cases at how much they really came down to the state of mind of the people who were involved, especially the accused people. Uh, and that really is a function of the fact that the, the facts of the case, like the actions that were uh, what supported the charges and the indictments were not in dispute because the video was was really exquisite in in some ways. So you were really down to why people did what they did, and that makes it a lot easier to decide because in many cases where you don't have video evidence, what happened is in dispute. Here in these cases, what happened was really not in dispute. We were down to why. Yeah, so but, but, but I, I Andy, remember though, Andy, remember, yep. Arbery was was killed in February. Nothing was going on until that video came out in May, May 5th. Yep. No, absolutely right. Absolutely right. So, so, as, as, far as, the, as far as the juries are concerned, yeah. um, I, I think that this jury today, I thought the Rittenhouse jury absolutely got it right. They took a long time, and I was a little bit nervous that that meant that they were negotiating rather yep. than uh, deciding what I thought was a pretty straightforward yep. case. But they Me got too. it. They got it right, and they clearly gave – what I thought was a weak prosecution argument more than it's due, so I don't think anybody should complain about that. And in this case, in, in the Aubrey case, I think they not only got it right, but the verdict shows that they had a... The, uh, for the differences between the different defendants. So, you know, they got the main guy who did the shooting on the willful uh, or the intentional murder... Uh, count that they call malice murder in Georgia, but he's the only one. And then the most culpable defendant from soup to nuts, the the uh, father, uh, Greg McMichael, uh, was convicted on everything except that malice murder charge because he didn't actually commit the murder, but he was clearly guilty of felony murder. Yeah. And then with respect to Brian, the least culpable of the defendants, they carefully went through the felony murder counts and only nailed him on the ones where he was clearly a complicit player as opposed to somebody who was just sort of tangentially involved. So I think they really did a very good job of carefully going through it. Excellent uh, feathering of that. Andrew McCarthy, Fox News contributor on the Guy Benson Show Newsmaker Hotline. In terms of the um, the uh, Kyle Rittenhouse case, is he Nick Sandman part two? In other words, does he exact uh, his revenge? Does 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 he make something stick? against a then-candidate for president who called him a white supremacist when there was absolutely no evidence at all that that's the case. And, and the, the, the three people, the two that were killed and the one that was uh, wounded, neither of them, uh, all three were white. Uh, there doesn't appear to be anything about any of this that makes him a white supremacist. Uh, so I think Biden, in my view, has a problem here. I think some of these media people from CNN and elsewhere, I think they got big problems with what they said. Uh, now, Sandman never won in a court. He won in a settlement. And I understand, you know, the media shield and the, the power of the, you know, the, the freedom of speech and the media and all that. But does, in your estimation as a great prosecutor, does Rittenhouse have a good case to recover civilly? I think that... You know, Harry, the chances that he would recover on a scale of one to ten, I put it maybe at a three. Wow. I mean, I think it would really be stacked against him, mainly because 
libel and defamation law very difficult for claimants in the United States, as opposed to, say, Britain, where the burden of proof is really, uh, you know, once you establish that there's been something untrue said about you, the burden really shifts to the other side. Here, in these kind of cases, uh, you know, number one, there'd be the whole issue of whether there was actual malice here or not, you know, whether he was a public figure by that point. And more problematic, I would think, for Rittenhouse would be that in cases where you have broad public debate, because of our First Amendment and our desire to have a vibrant uh, political society with, you know, with a lot of uh, discussion about the great events of the day, the courts tend to give a lot of rhythm to statements that could be deemed opinion rather than assertions of fact. And I think he'd be he'd be going up against a situation where, for example, with Biden, Biden wasn't really so much talking about Rittenhouse. He's obviously referring to him, but it was in a broader campaign message against Trump. Yeah. And I think a court would probably be inclined to look at that and say, you know, this is just hot campaign rhetoric and you can say it's irresponsible and it shouldn't have been said. But, you know, that's our bumptious First Amendment society. This is why I say you're one of the best in the business, because that's sobering and it's very, very real. And I always remind people, Andy, that Sandman didn't win in a court. Right. He won a settlement. So CNN decided that whatever reason, they didn't want to risk a trial. They didn't want to. Who knows why? But but he got yeah. that by agreement, not by winning. Yep. Yeah. That. Well, you know, look, that's a rational I'm not saying that that uh, Salmon didn't have a case. He may very yeah. well have had a case. Maybe he's a three and ten, or even yeah. a five and ten. And, and he may get settlements. Uh, yeah, sure. But the thing is, you know, people sit down. Litigation is very, very expensive, mm-hmm. uh, and jury verdicts, if you lose, can be very expensive. So if your lawyer tells you we could lose this case and it could take a long time to fight it, you have to figure how much of the or the uh, legal fee is going to cost me, how much would a verdict cost me if it goes as badly as it can go, and weigh that against what would it cost me to pay now to get out of this. And that's frequently what happens. This topic is very unpleasant because obviously, and you know this, you follow all this as recently as this morning, uh, a young boy, eight years old, Jackson Sparks, is gone. His brother Tucker is fighting for his life. 60 people are injured. And in my estimation... Andrew McCarthy, as a layperson, I put this at the feet of bail reform, this John Chisholm, who spoke out in 2007 and said he he acknowledged that the bail reform was going to he said, you bet it's guaranteed to happen. He knew that by making it so easy for suspected, serious, violent type offenders to get right out, like, for example, Daryl Brooks, as you know, three weeks before the Christmas parade massacre. He's out on a thousand dollar bail and you would know better than I. But what did he put up? A hundred dollars or did I mean, is it 10 percent? Whatever it is, it's not more than a thousand. So he's out after allegedly punching his girlfriend in the face, who's also the mother of his child and running her over with his car. So I'm saying if they don't have bail reform the way that this is um, just degenerated in our society with with these terrible decisions that are being made. Uh, that that allow violent suspected violent offenders uh, an easy way out. He's in jail. He's not available to run and mow down sixty people. What are your thoughts of that, Andy? Well, I think that's exactly right, Harry. And I also I, I think you know 
part of this is state law, which is not, um, not frankly, not very good. Um, because in Wisconsin, for example, they, they have a provision of law that says you can't deny bail. So they operate under this fiction where bail is set in every case. But like, for example, today they set bail for Brooks at $5 million. Yes. So they know he can't make that. And, you know, in the Constitution, in the meantime, people think incorrectly that the Constitution guarantees you a right to bail. What the Eighth Amendment actually says is that excessive bail can't be ordered. So what that means is you don't have to have bail in every case, but where you have it, it can't be excessive. So what I think a state like Wisconsin should do, and this would deny the left their big argument against cash bail, that it's like uh, that it penalizes poverty and it's a coup for rich white people or whatever else they say. What I think they ought to do is adopt the federal system. And I rarely say that, like, <laughs> adopting a federal rule ought to be imposed <laughs> on the states. But here, the federal government actually does have much more experience dealing with the Eighth Amendment because it's always applied to the federal government. And the, in the federal system, you can deny bail if a court finds either that there's no uh, that a person is a risk of flight or a danger to the community. That is to say, if the, if the court finds that the, that the evidence is such that there's no condition or combination of conditions that can satisfy the court, that the community will be safe if the guy is released, or that the person will return for his court appearances uh, if you let him go rather than flee, then you don't have to set bail at all. And I think that would be an honest, transparent way of saying we're not letting you out because you're too dangerous. It's got nothing to do with your financial means. It's got nothing to do with your race. It's got to do with the fact that the prosecutor has proved by some standard you know, in the federal court, it's clear and convincing evidence at the at the pretrial stage. But clear evidence that you're such a danger to the community that we can't set you, let you out and we're not setting bail and it doesn't have anything to do with race or money. Yeah, I, I love what you just said, and I think it is fair, and I think you can, and you just did answer any of that stuff that would come up, that this is racism and all this stuff, systemic racism, so on and so forth. And the bail for um, this defendant is $5 million, and it would have to be $5 million, not a portion of $5 million. They stipulated Yeah, but that. what if I, you know, Harry, what if he posted it? This is the, the fiction. I said, I said that two hours is, ago know, I mean, on Guy's show. I said, with, what if some if rich... Came in with five, yeah. Right, if he came in with $5 million, what would we say? We better make it $10 million, right? Because the point is not to set bail, it's yeah. to set no bail, but to look like you're setting bail, which is, it's, it's complete farce. They shouldn't do it. I, I totally agree. Andrew McCarthy, two-minute drill. Out of the lessons of Kenosha and what we see in Georgia with with this particular case, the Arbery case, uh, what are the takeaways in your estimation? That Americans are, by and large, fair. And uh, if you want to know about the country, maybe you should look at the way these trials come out rather than reading Twitter. Um you know, I think, you know, today everybody was all upset. This, I've been reading um, uh, the Times in particular uh, in this area all week about, um, you know, how there were 11 out of 12 jurors in this Arbery case were white. And that was going to be a big problem in the case. And I could tell people from having been a trial lawyer in New York for a long time, a prosecutor, um, 
you know, people generally follow, regardless of what their race is they, and other aspects of their personalities, they follow the law that the judge gives them. And just one quick story. I was on the longest federal criminal trial in American history, the Pizza Connection case, which took 17 months. There were 22 defendants and five defense lawyers, a very fine federal judge. One of the last notes we got from the jury before they came in with a verdict was, what's the evidence of overt acts 525 and 526 in the conspiracy count? And we looked, and it turned out we hadn't proved those two acts. So in other words, 17-month trial, uh, all those lawyers, excellent lawyers involved in the case, and none of us realized when the case went back to the jury that in this massive trial, two of these acts had not actually been proved, but the jury figured it out. You are spectacular. Happy Thanksgiving, Andy, and it's been great to visit with you. Thanks so much, Harry. You too. Take care. You take good care. When we come back, Thanksgiving fun with Wyatt, Dan, and Harry. This is The Guy Benson Show. Fresh conservative talk. Guy Benson Show. It is The Guy Benson Show. Guy will be back on Monday. I'm Harry, and it is my pleasure to welcome both Wyatt and Dan, who you all know well, uh, to the program. Now, keep in mind, these are Google searches. These are real people in all of our states in America that have picked their favorite Thanksgiving side dish. And I have to say, gentlemen, I'll call out the first one, President Biden's home state, the favorite side dish for Thanksgiving is cauliflower mashed potatoes. We may have answered the problem at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. That's my opening comment. Wyatt, your thoughts? Yeah, I, I'm not a huge fan of that. I'm more of a... Um, Dan, is Wyatt ready fan. to go? Oh, you can't we'll hear st- him? I do not hear Wyatt. All right. Uh, but but I do hear you, so let me go to you first. Uh, that's Delaware. Uh, and anyway, you, you shake that out. If cauliflower mashed potatoes, no offense, but if that's the favorite side dish of an entire state by Google Analytics, then I think we've answered a lot of questions today. Yeah, I'm not a fan of cauliflower mashed potatoes. I love whipped potatoes, which is a big argument in my family between mashed potatoes and whipped potatoes. So I don't know where to go from that. What other one caught your eye? Um, I liked, um, glazed carrots. I got, I'm not going to lie, Rhode Island there. I like that. Um, and I do, I, I'm curious about New Jersey stuffed mushrooms. I'm embarrassed by that. I have to say my home state, I'm a little embarrassed by that. Although I will tell you that my wife and at least two of my children would love that. I don't know that it would be the favorite. Oh, wait a minute. It wasn't New Jersey. It was Alaska stuff. Alaska is stuffed mushrooms. Let me give Max a quick comment, and you'll just piggyback and tell me when Max finished up. Okay, Dan? Max, go. I'm sorry, Wyatt, go. You can hear me now? I do. I hear you now. Perfect. So, All right. Give I'm it to us, Wyatt. I'm a green beans fan. I'm, I like green bean casserole um, and maybe some mashed potatoes and creamed corn. That's what I'm seeing on the list that I like. I like creamed corn a lot. I will tell you my son's one of my son's favorites, uh, definitely the green bean casserole. Loves that. Uh, guys, I do wish you, I know we're in the final few seconds of the program, 
Uh, Wyatt, you're just the pro's pro. Dan, honor to work with you. I wish you and your families a very happy Thanksgiving. We appreciate it. Thanks so much for coming on and, and hosting the show. Thanks for the opportunity, gentlemen. Be well. Until we meet again, this is the Guy Benson Show. Guy will be back on Monday. Best of tomorrow on Thanksgiving. Best of on Friday. Guy back on Monday. Hi, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade. I want you to join me weekdays at 9 a.m. East as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and, of course, what you think. Listen live or get the podcast now at briankilmeadeshow.com. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.